All right. Well, good morning, Three Circle Church and all of our campuses joining us right now and those joining us on a line. It's great to be with you guys today. We are bringing to a close. This is the finale of the uh, Thriving in Babylon series. And this whole series has been one where we said, okay, Lord, please show us through your word what we need to know to be able to thrive in our own version of Babylon. The premise for the series is that we too are waking up in our own version of it. No matter what community you're in, collectively, we are all waking up in a version of a world that we don't recognize, much the way Daniel and his, his friends woke up in a world they didn't recognize. And we've learned a lot of history throughout this series. We've learned a lot about what the Babylonian exile looked like and what it would have been like under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. And we have seen example after example how we can trust God and how we can be faithful and today's going to be no different as we come to the close. Daniel's got one more lesson to teach us today, and I hope that we all hear it, and I hope that we all learn it. Now, what is interesting about today is, in your Bibles, you're only turning a few pages as you turn through the events in the book of Daniel. But what you need to understand is the few pages we turn today are going to take decades, actually, in real life to go through. Because Daniel today is going to show us what the end of his life looks like. We've been looking at the beginning of his life. We have observed he and his friends in their teenage years and then in their early 20s, maybe into their early 30s. But now we're going to get to the end of his life and we're going to see, we're going to get to see, was Daniel faithful then? Did Daniel start strong but fall off in the end? And we have this idea in, in the church world, this theological idea of the, the perseverance of saints, this idea that God completes what he begins in us. And that, that we can run the entire race. You know, when I was a kid and in high school, I, I ran some track with my friends and, and I don't run track anymore, but then I did and, and was pretty good at it. And one thing you had to do is pace yourself, right? Because the question was not how fast did you start off? That's great that you're running so fast right now. But the question is, what do you look like when you come across the finish line? Are you still running strong then? And we're going to see is that Daniel was at the end of his life. The story we're going to look at today, Daniel is in his 70s at least. If you do the timeline, he's probably in his mid-70s. He's an elderly man at this point, but a man still full of leadership, we're going to see. So there's so many lessons we're going to learn. We're going to see an older gentleman that's still very much engaged in the life. He, he's not just hanging out by the, by the local shore in Babylon. He didn't get him a condo, and he's out collecting seashells. No, no, he's still living life, man. He's still getting it done. And he's still a leader. He's still engaged. But also, what's so inspiring, he's still faithful. We're going to see the same Daniel in his 70s as he was in his teenage years, just even more deep, more mature. So we heard the prophecy, right? Jeremiah warned. He said, look, the people of God are going to be under not one king, Nebuchadnezzar, but his son and his grandson. Remember, God said all the way to his grandson. Well, that's who we're going to have now. We're going to see Daniel with this Darius. Darius is the king now, and in Daniel 6, 1 through 4, it says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. Y'all notice that? Daniel's one of the highest officials still. It didn't take him long under Nebuchadnezzar to reach that height, but, but how do you stay in the room of leadership? How do you stay engaged? And even as an older man, he's still one of the high officials in Babylon to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. 
Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Don't miss what the Bible's telling you about Daniel here. Verse four, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now, if we didn't already have a high enough standard of Daniel, now I'm like, my goodness, They've had all these years to observe him. So when we catch him, we catch the snapshot in the first few chapters as a young man, Babylon seeing this guy hit the scene. They're like, this guy's unbelievable. King Nebuchadnezzar's impressed with him. Every room he walks in, he's smarter than the rest of the guys, better looking than the rest of the guys. He's sharp. He, you know, when you walk in a room, but the question is, can he sustain that? And now what we see is that this guy continued decade after decade throughout his life to be faithful and to not just be faithful, be excellent and be good at what he did. It is stunning to see who Daniel still is. Uh, Here, Darius is so impressed with him. He's making him not just a high official, but the highest of officials, very reminiscent of Joseph in Egypt. And what we see here is that Daniel had a reputation that was built on decades of faithfulness to God. And it spanned through three different monarchies, This means that as the world continued to change around Daniel, Daniel did not. As the the thing you could depend on in Babylon, even though the monarchies would change, the personalities of the kings changed, even though they would take new ground here and another war would start here, all that was going on, the thing you could depend on in Babylon was Daniel. You could depend on who he was. And as I look at that, I don't know about you, but I am so inspired convicted as well. How many of you in this room and at all the rooms joining us right now are a bit convicted as you look at Daniel's life? I got three people here at least, but everyone on the other side of the screen is, I know. Like we're convicted. We go, I want that. I observe his life. And so what I would ask is, what is your reputation like? Not when you first walk in the room. We got that from Daniel. What happens when people get to know you a little more? Have you ever met any of your heroes, by the way, someone you looked up to and then you got to be around them? How many times have you been disappointed? I have been. I remember uh, right out of college, I became on staff. My wife and I got married. We moved to Atlanta. We're at this big church in Atlanta and they were big, like very involved. Uh, Our church had a lot of uh, involved in politics, all kinds of stuff. And so some big luminaries at the time would come through. And this one time, I'm not going to name the name, but this big time evangelist is coming to town. And because he's friends with our pastor that was there at the time, uh, I was given the duty. When you're the young guy on staff, you're the guy that goes and picks people up from the airport. Okay. It's one of the things you get to do. And I like to talk a lot. And so they're like, you'll talk to him. It'll be fine. And so I go pick this guy up and he was horrible. I watched him mistreat a waitress at a restaurant. He talked to me in a disrespectful way. He was awful. And I remember sitting there going, well, that's not who you are up on the stage. I've seen you on the stage. That's not who, like, you're, in fact, you know something inside of me? I was like, you're a liar. You sit on a throne of lies. That's not who you really are. And then a couple of years ago, I got to meet another one of my heroes and, and he ended up being even better. And I'll name his name. It was Stephen Curtis Chapman. I listened to Stephen Curtis my whole life. 
He had this song called, This is the Great Adventure. And when I was a teenager, I played it over. And that's when we had CDs. I know some of y'all are eight trackers. Some of y'all are cassette tapes. I was the CD man, all right? I went digital, okay? Over and over again. So then I got the chance to, to be with him on a trip, on a Compassion International trip. And I thought, oh man, I'm about to meet one of my heroes, and if Stephen Curtis Chapman isn't a good dude, I'm going to have a really hard time. Turns out he was a better dude than I could ever imagine. And so just so you know, go buy his stuff. It's great. He's a great guy. So I look, and there's two different legacies there. And Stephen Curtis is now in his 60s. He's been doing this a long, long time, and he's built a reputation of faithfulness. And I'm, and I, I'm telling you, the other guy, by the way, totally out of ministry. Wasn't too many years later, totally out of ministry. And so I look at that and I go, okay, which one of these do I want? I think many times we play a short game and God wants us to play the long game. What kind of reputation and legacy are you and I building? Daniel represents, by the way, in his life, what the Bible calls above reproach. Have you ever heard this in the word of God in 1 Timothy laying out, and, and by the way, these are the expectations for leaders in the church but certainly these can, can transcend into the lives of all of us as Christians. Paul was writing to Timothy, his young protege, and he says this, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean perfect? No, it doesn't, because no one is. That would mean that only Jesus could pastor our churches. And I got news for y'all today. It is not Jesus who is standing here today. You got me, I'm sorry. It's a big letdown, I'm, I'm sure. But, but here's the deal. I am supposed to walk in. I'm an under shepherd to the shepherd. I point to him. So above reproach does mean something though. I am not perfect and none of our pastors and ministers here are. And I know none of you are joining us today. But this is our aim, to be above reproach. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that we live lives that are pointing to the character of Christ. We live lives of integrity. And that when we do make mistakes, we're honest about those. And that we are repentant in those. And that we walk with Jesus. And that you can see a pattern in our lives. If you, if you find our worst moments, you'll find some moments, right? For all of us. But if you look at the pattern of our life, and by the way, that's what we get today. Looking at Daniel's life at the end, we see his pattern. Because honestly, in those first few years, we're looking at moments. And you go, is this really gonna last? But now, because we're looking at the end of his life, we see the pattern. And the pattern is one of faithfulness. And, and I don't think this should just be true of Daniel. This can be true of all of our lives and should be true of all of our lives. So these high officials become very jealous of Daniel, and I'm sure that was a problem his whole life. Every time a new king comes in town, they're so impressed with Daniel, he becomes a boss. That didn't go over well for everyone. And so once again, he's being entrapped. In Daniel 6, 6 through 7, it says, these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. Live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. There's a lot of things we gotta get here, but 
Back in the day, it was the fiery furnace. So poor old, not only has Daniel lived through three crazy kings, but he lives through increasingly draconian ways of execution. So Nebuchadnezzar's thing was, let's burn people in a furnace. Now Darius, his grandson, just a chip off the old block. Here's something cool. Let's have a cage full of lions. What's wrong with these people? But that's what the deal is now. The lion's den, the dreaded lion's den. And see what the Bible's telling you here is that number one, when these guys sought to find a way to accuse Daniel, it was hard to do so. They had to really look to figure out something they could get him on. How many of us would say that that'd be true of our lives rhetorically? I don't know, man. I don't know if we can say, take a look at my life. They literally had to get creative. In fact, they had to invent a law that might would trap Daniel, and they knew that it would. You wanna know why? Because Daniel's prayer life had been so consistent, his enemies knew that all they needed was 30 days to get him. That's what they knew. They knew something about him. And let me be honest with you, I got a question for you, you ready? This is a big one for everyone online and at every campus joining us today. Here we go. If there was a law dropped by a wicked king today and it said in the next 30 days, if anyone reads their Bible or prays to their God in a public manner, they will be jailed. How many of you would actually be in trouble? Don't raise your hands, it's rhetorical. All the proud Christians. It's okay. Think about it, though. Think. And, and let me ask you this. Are you so consistent that people in your life would go, like, literally, are you so consistent the people who know you well would go, well, you're going to jail? Because <laughs> one thing we know, you're going to pray and you're going to read your Bible. If you're here today and you're a Christian and that, that wouldn't be a problem for you because you're so inconsistent and sometimes you're on and sometimes you're not, then maybe we need to think through that. He was so consistent, they knew they were like, here's how we get him. That dude prays every day. That old man prays every day. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter who's the king. He's gonna pray. That's how we will get him. Folks, listen, prayer, and this is where Daniel's pointing us at this end of his life. Prayer's one of the most simple acts of obedience that we should be taking part in daily. It's our private walk with God. Prayer is obedience. Prayer is you saying it's one of the acts of humility as a Christian. And by the way, a lack of prayer in the Christian life is an absolute indication of the presence of pride every single time. For me not to pray says, I got this. For me not to pray, I'm looking at heaven saying, I don't need you. For me not to pray about my marriage, I'm saying, I can handle this. For me not to pray over my kids is saying, hey, my parenting will have this covered. I don't need your help. My not praying over my church, my not praying over my own life, my not praying over temptation in my life is looking at God and going, hey, thank you for saving me. I got it from here on out. That's what a lack of prayer says. Daniel is... An older man now mature, he has proven himself and still his enemies knew that guy prays every day. Daniel had the humility to say over and over again to the living God, I don't have this. 
And if anybody could have said, I got this, you'd think it'd be Daniel. But it's the opposite. In fact, he prayed multiple times a day. He's a prayer, he's a prayer warrior. You know, Jesus did this, by the way, to point us to the New Testament. We always like to cross-reference here. You know, Jesus was known to his disciples. One of the things they picked up on about Jesus was his prayer life. We get examples of it. In Mark 1.35, it says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus modeled prayer. Jesus prayed to his father. In fact, he was so consistent. You may not know this. The only thing the Bible records that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do. It's the only thing they ever said. Hey, if you don't mind, tell us how you do this. If it would have been me, I would have been like, how'd you do that bread and fish thing? That might come in handy at some point. Nope. Hey, how'd you... How are you raising dead people from the grave? I mean, that's pretty cool, Jesus. They looked at him and they asked him, teach us how to pray. In Luke 11, 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John taught his disciples. God, would you teach us how to pray? Let me tell you something else. Just like the enemies of Daniel knew just how to get him. Do you know how Judas knew how to tell the temple guard where they could find Jesus to arrest him? He knew where he would be praying. That's how consistent he was. Now, if people were to look at your life and mine and say, and I'm asking myself this as I look at this, the same sermons that I'm preaching to you, I gotta preach to myself too. And, And I go, the people who know me best, if they were to boil down who I am, if my funeral service was happening this weekend and my sons and my daughter had to step up on stage, what would they say about me? And I hope that they'll say a lot of things, but I want my kids to say, let me tell you something about my dad, something that you may not know, but we knew that man read his Bible and that man prayed. That's something my dad, did and I saw him do it and I knew that he did it and he never stopped doing it and it was a consistent part of his life. Now I want that. I want them to know I loved them. I wanted them to, I want them to know that I show up at their games and that and that I cook really good pancakes with I do these chocolate chips in them and stuff and I want them to talk about that at my funeral. I've told them so. I'm like those your mama can cook and she's got me on that but I make really good pancakes. And the only reason she doesn't have me on that is I've asked her to please never cook pancakes. At least give me this, because hers will be better. But I want him to say my dad was consistent in this area of his life. Jesus was so consistent. And what we see from Daniel and, and from Jesus is something that we need to get in our lives. Folks, listen. Are we people of prayer? Daniel is, is encouraging us to be people of courage. And I think when we read the lion's den story, the first thought in our mind is, well, he's teaching me how to be a person of courage. Actually, that's, that's secondary. That's number two on what this story teaches us. What floats to the surface from Daniel is that we should not just be people of courage, but that our courage will be a byproduct of the fact that we are people of prayer. He prayed. The secret sauce of how you go to a lion's den It's not how courageous you are. It's how consistent are you in prayer. In fact, the courage that he has is coming from prayer. 
And the disciples noticed that, that Jesus' power and his, his authority came from somewhere. And they noticed, you know what? You know what he does all the time? He prays. The disciples would wake up in the morning. Hey, where's Jesus? Uh, I don't know where he is. And they figured out over three years, they, they stopped saying, we don't know where he is. They started saying, he's praying. If you don't see Jesus, he's praying. In Daniel 6.10, we didn't get this in your handout. It's going to be right now. You, you want to write it in. If you want to just write down this, Daniel 6.10 in your handout, go home and read it. It'll be on the screens now and online. I'm going to read it from, from my Bible right here. It says in Daniel 6.10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, watch this, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I love that. He's not putting on a show. He's not like, I'll tell you what I'm about to do. I'm gonna be a hero. We got a lot of heroes today. A lot of hotshot Christians gonna get real loud now. Get out on the political stage. And here's what, here's what I wanna tell you. Be real careful you're not opening your windows to put on a show. Be sure that you're opening your windows because that's who you really are. Because when you open your windows, people can also see everything else about your life, not just that you're on your knees praying. The Bible I love says, this is this what he had always been doing. He wasn't putting on a show. The reason they knew they could get him is because this is what they had watched him do. Daniel had this little thing. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna pray every day, three times a day, and I'm gonna open my window so I'm looking towards Jerusalem. That was just his thing. I like to pray walking. I warned everybody when I came to pastor here 11 years ago, I said, I'm not weird. Just when you see me walking around out in the field and stuff, I'm not mad. I'm just praying because I'm jittery and in my office, the walls closed down, I need to go walk and pray. Get your thing too. Daniel had a thing when he prayed. He liked to open his window towards Jerusalem. And he did it three times a day. And what we see here is this. When Daniel discovered that there was a law forbidding him to pray, he simply continued his routine of prayer and obedience. He did not change a thing. He just kept doing what he had always done. What if you and I today out of this series become people of prayer? Consistent people of prayer. What if our children, grandchildren, friends begin to see that about us? That if there's one thing we get out of the Daniel series, I'll tell you right now, something that I hope for everyone here is not that out of this series we get lots, you know, that y'all go start blogs and become courageous and that you start, you know, you're gonna be braver than you've ever been. I mean, all that's great. My hope is that we all leave going, I wanna be consistent in who I am for the glory of God. And I want to be a person of prayer. In Daniel 6, 15 to 16, it says, Then these men came by agreement to the king. Of course, they got him now, right? And they said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians. By the way, what that means is the king had made it law, and he himself could not change it now. The law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed, not even by him. Verse 16, So the king knew he had to do this. So the king commanded... Daniel was brought and he was cast into the den of lions. 
And the king, watch this though, I love this. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar talked to Daniel? Do you remember that? We've shown you that through the series that, that these kings would end up loving Daniel. These wicked kings love Daniel. Listen to Darius. Does this sound like a man who wants to see this guy executed? The king declared to Daniel, may your God, watch this, whom you serve continually, deliver you. It's astounding. Please don't read the Bible too fast. You'll miss so much. This, this book is so drenched with stuff for us and we read it so fast. Do you hear what that king just said? Darius like Nebuchadnezzar. Now three successive kings have made declarations about the living God in Daniel. And this guy looks at him and says, as they're putting him in the den, you serve your God continually. I've never seen you waver in that. And I hope that that God you're always talking about, that you're always praying to, is going to be with you in the lion's den. Look, even a pagan king recognized consistency. He recognized how consistent and committed Daniel was to his relationship with God. It's consistency. Now, let me tell you, I do think we need to voice truth in our culture. But the key to you being able to have an impact on your culture is your consistency. Because if you are observably inconsistent, then you will not have leverage in this culture. Those men were watching Daniel and what they saw was consistency. Darius had watched Daniel. Do you think Daniel would have this kind of influence had he been shady, had he just been loud but not consistent, had he not been a man of character? And we've got way too many culture warriors where their families are falling apart, their marriages are falling apart, but they're more than willing to stand on a platform or on a digital stage where they have a blog or a social media site or wherever and tell the world what they need to do. And when the world looks into the windows that they've then opened and see inconsistency, they roll their eyes, they laugh, they mumble under their breath, and they walk away because they go, well, we don't have to listen to them. Watch this. Consistency observed over time demands to be taken seriously. Daniel lived in a way that even the king took him seriously. Even his enemies knew that they better take this guy seriously. Consistency enables you to speak to your culture, and I want us to be able to do that. It will require consistency. You know what I learned about being a dad in my own home? As my kids got older, they could spot my inconsistencies. Terrible little children. <laughs> and you know what happens is they become more verbally um, professional shall we say. Well, they'll call you out on it, won't they? Well, dad, you said, well, dad, well, I, and, and you know, I look at them and I say, don't ever talk to me like that again. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't say that. No, I got to own it because they can see it. But what, what gives me great leverage in their lives are those areas where my kids can look and see my consistency. They got to, they got to be able to take me seriously. 
Are you consistent in your life? And if there are areas of inconsistency, what would it look like for you and I to become consistent and learn from Daniel here and say, hey, I want to stop being up and down here. I want people to be able to depend on this about me, about my relationship with God. So Daniel is placed into the lion's den. Terrible moment, horrible moment. And I'm sure that he's wondering, wondering how this is going to go. Remember, the boys, Daniel and his buddies, when they were young men, had great theology, right? So we, we got to believe that Daniel was under no pretense. He didn't know if God would save him from the lion's den. And I don't know about you, but a lion's den's not the way I'd want to go. Doesn't sound fun at all. So I can't imagine that being a good moment. But the Bible gives us this beautiful scene. Evidently, Darius, the king, was up all night long. Imagine having that kind of impact on a pagan king. And in Daniel 6, 19 to 23, it says, Then at daybreak, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near the den where lion was, the, where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. So this tells you what's going on with this guy. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. Do you see how he talks to him? Has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Can you imagine what Darius felt when he heard his voice? Daniel said to the king, oh, king, live forever. See, he's still honoring the king. He still shows honor and grace. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me. Many of you may have not known that an angel showed up. Can you imagine the angel just going? That's how I see it in my mind anyway. I love it. He shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And as we know, the people who perpetrated the, the whole thing about him were thrown into the lion's den, and it did not go as well for them. Evidently, the angel had left. We all know that part of the story. The part of the story I want you to see is, truly, we know he was saved from the lion's den. Here's what I want you to see, though. I want you to see that this man, Daniel, as an older man, had had such an impact on his lost and pagan rulers around him that they didn't want him to die. I want you to think about that for a second. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to have an impact? Do you want to tell the world what you believe? Or do you want to live what you believe in such a powerful way that it is undeniable? Now, I'm not telling you not to voice truth. What I am saying, hopefully, as people of God, is that we will back up our loud statements with even louder faithfulness. Amen? That we would be found faithful, not perfect, but consistent. The last thing I need to give you is some good theology here. This isn't the only time God did stuff like this. There was another time where prayer, prayer, because this is what we see. He was a man of prayer. There was this time in the New Testament where Peter found himself in a jail cell probably going to be executed. And I want to just show you this because this sets up a quote that we really wanted to give you guys, a Puritan 
theologian Thomas Watson. But before you read the quote, I want you to hear what happened to Peter. So Peter's in a prison, and this is after the resurrection, and the church is marching forward. And Peter, Acts 12 says, was kept in prison. Watch this. Uh, well, I, I forgot to fill in the blank. I'm sorry, guys. Let's go back. In order to survive and thrive in Babylon, believers have to trust in God. And I just made all of you who fill in blanks feel so much better about life. All right, now, let's go to Acts 12, 5 through 7. So Peter was kept in prison. Watch this. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the church knew he was in prison. They're praying for Peter. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison, and behold, an angel of the Lord. There he is again. I wonder if it was the same angel. Is there an angel in heaven? It's like, you've got the lions and the soldiers. I don't know. But here he is again. An angel of the Lord stood next to him. A light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. I love that. He's just like, wake up, dude. Woke him up and he said, get up quickly. Watch this. And the chains fell off his hands. It's this really great story because Peter then shows up and knocks on the door. And the Bible lets you know as he's knocking on the door, the church is inside the house praying for his release. Imagine when they open the door, they're like, well, it works. Prayer. And here's my quote for you today. When when me and our teaching team here at Three Circle, when we came across this, across this quote, we were so encouraged by it. It's like, we're holding onto that one forever. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Growing up, the church I grew up in, would have, something would have happened right there. <laughs> little wiggle. little wiggling would happen across the audience. You could feel that. Let's just say it again. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. And here's what we want to leave you today as we end this series pointing us to being consistent people of prayer and actually believing in it. Know that sometimes prayer brings deliverance. Folks, Daniel, lion's mouths were shut. Peter, he's out of prison. But you can't guarantee that every time because there's been a lot of people that it did not go that way. But here's what prayer always does. It brings peace. It will sometimes bring deliverance, but it will always bring peace. And so we thought, well, how do we want to end this series? And again, if you could help me at all of our campuses and here today, if you need to go, we get that. But we end our series, one of our kind of traditions, one of the things here is when we end a teaching series, we take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to do that today. It's a sacred moment. So if you can stay, we hope you would. And to prepare us for the Lord's Supper and in the series, we thought, we want to focus on what Daniel was focused on. That man had peace. As they marched him into the lion's den, he had peace because of prayer. It gave him peace. Peter, the Bible says, was asleep in that prison. He had peace because of prayer. And I hope that you'll prepare right now for our time of the Lord's Supper as you listen to this beautiful song about the peace of God pour over our lives at all of our campuses that we'll prepare to take the supper and celebrate our Lord and Savior. Jesus, I thank you for these next few moments. Would you work and move in our midst? In your name we pray. Amen.
In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, communion. If you came in today and you did not receive the elements, would you do us a favor and raise your hand? We'll have someone from our team bring that to you. We believe scripture gives us kind of some, some guardrails for taking, taking part in this sacrament, one of which is, this is for believers. So whether or not you are part of Three Circle or you are a guest with us, all that we see scripture uh, calls us to, to be is a follower of Jesus. So this is for followers of Christ. Uh, and that being said, if you're in the room and, and you do not know Jesus, uh, really, we would ask you to observe, uh, maybe ask the person who invited you, but our, our aim here is really not to offend you in any way. So we would ask you to observe. And then if you are a mom or a dad and you have your little ones with you, um, we leave this option up to you as the parent and the primary pastor of your child to to, to make that call for them. It's a great opportunity to share Jesus with your little one, right? Uh, so have that conversation with them, but that's up to you, mom and dad, uh, to make that decision for them. And then the third guideline for us uh, for taking part in this, this holy moment is to, to not do so, according to scripture, in an unworthy manner, which simply means to not do this with any unconfessed sin in our lives. And so I wanna give us a moment to go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to forgive us of any unconfessed sin that we may have in our life. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, he has this moment with his disciples, known as the Last Supper. And he has this conversation as he breaks bread and, and drinks the wine. He says this regarding the bread, this is my body, which is for you to do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your body that was broken God, we thank you that you are the perfect, unblemished substitute, the only one that could take our place on the cross. Jesus, we're grateful. You may take the bread now. And he goes on and says, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we're so grateful for the blood that was spilled. God, that covered all of our past transgressions, but also our future ones as well. God, we love, we love you again for being the perfect one, but also because of the blood that was spilled that covered all humanity. Amen. You may take of the juice now.